I think you can do better than that. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here again. And I think the offering is being passed while I'm doing some preliminary remarks. So continue to worship the Lord in that capacity. It is uh, just a thrill for me to be back to our home church. As John mentioned, 22 years ago, we were uh, called to this church in 1992. And it is hard to believe that there are people in this room that I have known that long, but I have. And uh, some of you were really little when I came, including your pastor. And I had shared with my home church I would be uh, going back to White Oak Baptist and that the pastor was now someone I baptized. I had that in my recollection. And then finally I said, you know, I better check and make sure if that's right before I continue to share this. And and it is. And many of you, uh, we just go back a long ways and it is a blessing uh, to be here. Uh, Many of you know my parents. They were able to be here today. We have our daughter here and her boyfriend, Gio, so we're thrilled to have our family with us. This is the first stop of a rather lengthy trip we're on. Later today, at about 5 o'clock, we'll be heading to Frankfurt, Germany, and uh, that is for something called the International Baptist Convention, which we're a part of. And as John mentioned, I'm starting on Tuesday, I guess officially, as the president of that group, and I'll share a little bit more about that as well. I am really thrilled that you guys have made another bold move Another bold decision to call a real young guy as your pastor. And I hope that you will give him great support. John, when he uh, was being considered to serve in this capacity, gave me a call and asked me my thoughts. And I said, well, I've been gone a long time, so I'm not sure what I can share with you. But I still know some of the people who are part of that church. And there are some wonderful, wonderful people that make up the congregation of White Oak Baptist Church. And I think if you'll come in, love the people, give direction, you're going to have a great ministry. I did tell them it's not going to be easy, all right? Pastoring a congregation is not easy, and I'm thrilled to hear all that is going on, and we are really, really thrilled to be here. I thought today that I would just share about our ministry. I've entitled my message, Reflections on the International Experience. And I've used that title because of the kind of ministry that we have been a part of. It is international. We live over 2,000 miles away in a little beautiful country in Central America called Costa Rica. And so we've dealt with all the transitions that take place when you live and serve in another country. And we pastor an international congregation. We worship in English in a Spanish-speaking country, And so we gather every Sunday in two services and we have people that represent 30, 40, 50 different nations. In fact, when I got there, a year or two into my ministry, I started to count all the different nationalities that came through our church. And as of today, we're approaching almost 100 different countries represented that have been a part of our congregation. They say that A picture's worth a thousand words, so I thought maybe just to give you a glimpse of who we are, I would play a little video. This is a video that was put together by one of our members who's a videographer, and if you ever want to hear some other preaching besides the wonderful preaching of your pastor, John Wethington, you can go to our website or our Facebook page, and this is 
how it will start. So I think it's queued up and you can get a little sense of our congregation. I show that video because sometimes people think we're in a little hut out in a village or something like that. And as you can tell, we have a very beautiful and modern facility. And uh, very much, if I were just to uh, somehow beam you into our service, it would be very similar to what you're experiencing today. Well, what I'd like to do is to share for you, or share with you, five learnings that I've had in these 12 plus years of ministry in the international experience. And I say they're learnings, but in some ways, they're actually reminders, are relearnings. And as some of you know, I'm used to people taking notes. I'm going to have some things come up on the screen. So if you'd like, you can go ahead and take these down. But I just want to give you an overview of our ministry as we think together of the things that I've learned in this international experience. So the first thing that I would share with you is that I have learned that the call of God is challenging, but a tremendous blessing. The call of God is challenging, but a tremendous blessing. Now, with each of these points, I want to refer you to some sections of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to go ahead and have you find Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. By the way, I didn't have to use these when I was the pastor of International Baptist Church, of White Oak Baptist Church, I'm sorry, I'm at White Oak right now, but somewhere along the way, I've had to get these, so. Acts chapter 16, as most of you know, Acts is a story of the church, the birth of the church and of the churches, and Dr. Luke, the author of this book, records all kinds of things. And one of the things that he records is the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And I want us to look at what I think for many of you will be a familiar passage, but in some different ways it's come to have some significant meanings for me as I've been a pastor of an international congregation. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, we find these words. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Most of us know this as Paul's Macedonian call. We're very familiar with this passage. It is interesting, we have a uh, Bible study on Thursday evenings, we target ages 15 to 21. We, uh, I believe very strongly that we have to constantly pass on the message of the gospel to the next generations, and there is a boarding school, an international boarding school, so on Thursday evenings we have anywhere from 25 to 45 young people in our home, we feed them and many are from many different places. And one of the students who began that Bible study a year ago is from Macedonia. 
and he grew up in a very nominal Eastern Orthodox background. And when he first started coming to our Bible study, and I found out he was from Macedonia, I said, did you know your country was in the Bible? And his eyes got real big. And he said, no. And I thought to myself, here's someone who doesn't even know that their country's mentioned there. And so I took the Bible we had recently gave him, and I showed him where his country was mentioned. And he was just amazed that his country was mentioned in the Bible. Well, this call from Macedonia, or call to go to Macedonia, is interesting. Paul was enjoying a time of ministry. He was enjoying God's blessing. And then he wanted to discern where God would have him go next. And he thought that God would have him go to one place, but God said no. And so he continued to wait upon the Lord. And then in that vision, God said, it's Macedonia that you need to go. And if you go back and look at your Bible maps and all, you'll see that Paul had an, a, very, a very effective ministry there in Macedonia. But why I wanted to share this passage is this, that Paul knew the importance of the call of God. And I may be a little old-fashioned on this, but I believe it is critically important that we all recognize God's call on our life. First of all, God calls all of us to himself in a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And most of you have answered that call today, but perhaps some of you have not. And I want you to know that if you sense the spirit of God impressing on your heart to respond to that call, answer that call. God calls us to himself. But then God calls us to service and to ministry to others. Now, in our context, it's in full-time vocational ministry in another country. And God does call people still today in that capacity like us. But for some of you, it is to stay where you are to stay in your workplace, to stay in your home church, and to serve the Lord that way. And let me just say to all of us today, the call of God is a challenge. It is not easy to follow the call of God. But let me add, the call of God is a tremendous blessing. It was not easy for us 12 years ago to leave a church we were comfortable in, friends that we had, and to go to a place we were completely unfamiliar with. And we experienced some real challenges in those early years. And even today we still experience some of those challenges. But let me just share with you. That the blessings have far outweighed the challenges. Because that's what happens when you follow the call of God in your life. I could share story after story. By the way, I think right now is a good time to introduce you to something called Tico time. Tico time, all right? Some of you are wondering what in the world that is. Well, Ticos are what Costa Ricans call themselves. There's a long story behind that. But they call themselves Ticos. And Tico time means you either start something later than you're expected to start, or you go longer than people are expecting. This is Tico time, all right? So stay, I've got a lot to share. I'm watching my clock, but we're going to be in Tico time at the moment. But there's tremendous blessing. I could share with you all kinds of stories. So let me share with you one that I think sort of just was a great reminder for me in what God had called us to do. 
and how God blessed that. A few years ago, we were having a women's conference. Most of you know my wife, is. A, uh, she served in a variety of capacities, and she started a women's conference or women's retreat years ago, and it's now gotten so big that we couldn't find a hotel to have it, so we, were gonna, we decided we would have it at our, uh, at our church. And so we had almost 200 women from all over the country come and be a part of that conference. And I thought, well, this is a women's conference. I won't have a lot that I need to do. Wrong. All right. But a few months earlier, one of the missionaries in our church is named Jaime Yoon. He's from Korea. He and his family are sent by a missions organization in Korea, and he is serving in Costa Rica. And he works on the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. Now, Costa Rica is a country that's quite well developed compared to many of their neighbors. Beautiful country, but on the Caribbean side, it is poorer. And uh, the education level is not nearly as high. And so Pastor Jaime from Korea, who attends our church because they speak some English. His wife and his son's better than him. We always communicate in Spanish. So it's always funny visiting with this Korean missionary and we talk in Spanish. So he said, I'm having my first graduation. And he's been taking uh, leaders on the Caribbean side through a training program. And they have to commit to two years. And he said, we're having our first graduation. And he said, can you preach in Spanish? And I said, si, mas o menos, yo puedo. Uh, so, uh, yes, I said, I can. I mean, I'm preaching in English, but I can. And he said, I want you to come. And I want you to preach at the graduation service. Well, I, we scheduled it the same time of the women's conference because I thought, I won't be doing anything for the women's conference. Wrong. All right. So it came the day of the women's conference and the weekend, and we were super busy. And I had this commitment, and I prepared my message all in Spanish, which is a real uh, challenge for me. And so on Saturday afternoon, I took off with another guy who had just come to faith in Christ and been a part of our church I said you want to go with me to the Caribbean he said sure so we took off and we drove about two and a half hours and we ended up by the way we live in the mountains which means we have wonderful weather almost all year around but when you get down off the mountains it's quite a bit like Houston in the summertime so we're down on the Caribbean side and uh, Pastor Jaime had told me you know this is going to be a formal event this is a big deal so go ahead and wear a suit. Now, I like John, I got rid of most of my suits when I went to uh, Costa Rica, but I had one suit, so I said, okay, I'll wear a suit. And we drive two and a half hours on a very busy weekend, and I end up in this, it's not small, it was actually rather large, this church, no air conditioning, for this graduation of pastors and leaders who've gone through this two-year program. And I get in there and Pastor Jaime and he has a group of other Koreans actually who'd come who were supporters of him all the way from Korea to be a part of, of this event. And so here we are. I'm in my suit and it is hot and humid. I am already sweating. And then the church starts to fill up. It's probably half the size of this congregation but it fills up and there are two or three hundred people. And the graduates are there. Now, they're all dressed up, and now they have their graduation gowns. And then we begin worship. Worship pretty similar to what we experienced this morning, except in Spanish. 
And I'm sitting with the graduates, and because I've had conversations with Pastor Jaime, a thought occurs to me. For many of these, this will be the first time they've ever graduated from anything. A lot of them didn't graduate from high school. This is their first graduation. And as the worship began to go in Latin fashion, you could just sense the excitement of that moment as people worship the Lord together. And as I was a part of that and began to realize that, I just thought, what an opportunity, what an amazing event. And then the time came for me to preach. And I stood up. I was already sweating profusely. And I tried to convey to 200, 250 people in my second language this charge for these graduates. And amazingly, everybody stayed with me. They laughed when they were supposed to laugh. All of that. And I finished preaching. And I want to let you know I was beat, you know. I finished. And I forgot to tell you that Pastor Jaime also said, oh, you're going to help deliver diplomas to all the graduates, and also we've got an ordination schedule. So I stayed up on the stage, and we did this and all, and it probably went about two hours, which actually wasn't too, as long as I thought it would go. But I just had some, some moments when I finally finished that service, congratulated all the graduates, and all their families were there, and all those things, and finally got that suit off and got back in some shorts, I was exhausted and headed back. And I thought to myself, what a blessing. What a blessing. To be able to be a part of an event like that, to worship with the people that uh, just worship with such exuberance, to be a part of a graduation of people who perhaps had never experienced something like this. And in that moment, and in other moments, I've said, you know, it's not always easy following the call of God. But if you do, you're going to experience his blessing. And some of you here today, since God calling you to something, maybe very basic, just simply sharing your faith with someone else, maybe getting involved in a ministry, and you think about it and it seems so challenging, let me just remind you today, yes, it is true, when we follow the call of God, It is a challenge, but it comes with tremendous blessing. That's point one. I'll try to get through these other points quicker. The second learning that I've had is this. In my 12 years of ministry, I have learned the necessity of caring for your soul and your family. The necessity of caring for your soul and your family. It would not surprise you to know that I have learned so much in my lifetime from my parents. And I share often in my pulpit about what I've learned from them. One of the things I learned from them is because they were missionaries in Kenya. I learned that people who serve the Lord, missionaries and pastors and all, they're just people. And they have all kinds of challenges themselves and I have learned in the 12 years of ministry that a minister or a missionary can very easily get so caught up in doing the work of God that they neglect the work of God in their lives and that's a dangerous place to be 
There's a really interesting story in the Old Testament. It's about David, King David, and it's before he became king. And I want to reference this story because uh, it's spoken to me over the years. If you want to, you can go back. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And before David became a king, a lot of you know that he began to lead a band of misfits, really, a group of raiders, and they lived in villages, and they had their families, and so he had this sort of army, and they would often leave where they were, and they would go and raid these other villages. And then they would come back and get back with their camp and with their family. And one on one occasion, David... The attacker, the raider, while he and his armed men were out raiding, they got raided. They got attacked. And let me pick up with the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3. It says, when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And here's the key to this little section of Scripture. But David found strength. And the Lord is God. David was at a crisis. The very people he was leading were now turning on him. Where was David to go? David went back to the Lord. I think David had already been nurturing his soul. And because he had been nurturing his soul in this moment of anguish, in this moment of difficulty, he was able to find his strength in the Lord. You can go back and read the rest of the story. But he wasn't stoned by his men. He was able to rally them and he was able to go and he was able to rescue his family and the families of the others. The reason this story has spoken to me a lot is because of what I said earlier. It is so easy to get involved in the work of the Lord that you neglect your own soul And you neglect your own family. And I am so grateful that years ago, Dean and I made a commitment that we would serve the Lord with all our heart, but we would never do so in such a way that it would damage our souls or hurt our family. It was for us a big move when we decided to leave here. Our daughter was nine years old, and for perhaps all of us, it was most difficult for her. Her whole life revolved around this area of Houston, Texas. And the first year or two was not easy. But we continued together as a family to keep our family strong. To continue to focus in spite of all the busyness of ministry and all of those things. And I am so grateful to the Lord that I can say, and hopefully you can check with my daughter to make sure, that we've never allowed ministry to rob us of our time with family. And I've had some great moments thinking about that as well. Last summer, 
we had this really unique opportunity. We were able to, uh, our worship team, we were able to go across the pond, as they say, from Costa Rica and lead a conference in Switzerland. I know some of you are thinking that's really suffering for the Lord, all right? And uh, I was teaching some seminars and the whole thing, and uh, it's a great time. But when that conference finished, we were making our way back, and we were going to go to Geneva. That's where we were going to fly out of. And just through some missionaries in our church, we found out about a family that lived close to Geneva, and they said they would put us up for the night. Well, sometimes you just get blown away with what people will do for your family. We never knew they lived outside of Geneva, across the French border, in a French village. And they had refurbished this beautiful uh, French chateau, all right? 250 years old. And so we got to stay there for one night. And uh, I hadn't had a chance to be with our daughter for a while. We had been together with that conference, but she had been studying it her university, and then she was doing a study abroad in Spain, and there's a few things that uh, I wanted to share with her that I'd been praying about and thinking about some fatherly advice to my now-grown daughter, and I was just kind of waiting for the right time, and the next morning in that French village, the sun rose, we were in the mountains, and Danae and I did what we have often done, we decided to go on a run together. And we ran through that little French village. We ran out to the countryside. And I knew now was the time that I could share with my daughter about some things that I wanted to share. And so I did. She received those well. We talked through that. We finished that run. And when we finished that run and I had just a moment alone, I said, God, I am so thankful that in spite of the work and the time that it often requires to be in ministry, that you have helped me not to neglect my soul or my family. And I just want to say to all of you, regardless of where you are, whether it has to do with your occupation, whether you're in full-time ministry, whatever it is, Here is a great challenge for you as you serve the Lord and do His work. Don't allow the work that you do to so overcome you that it will affect the work He wants to do in you and that it will negatively impact your family. We need to always be careful to focus on our soul and on our family. Let me see if I can speed up just a little bit as I give you a few more points. The third learning is this. The world is big, but interconnected. The world is big, but interconnected. Maybe I could say the world is big, but small. Do you know how many people inhabit our planet today? I hear it, seven billion. Do you know how many people inhabited our planet when I was a pastor of this congregation? Six billion. In 15 years, the world's population has increased by one billion people. Statistics are amazing. There are a lot of people that live on this earth, and you can read some things about that, how much we're going to increase or whether that's going to happen. 
But let me just tell you this, as big as this world is, and I've now had a lot of time to travel to a lot of places, we're going to be heading out today, it's still interconnected. And today, more than ever, I won't have you go there, but I'm referencing Romans chapter 16. Some of you may be familiar with that, but in this letter, Paul is closing his letter out, and he begins to greet all these different people. Very interesting, because Paul is greeting people And we don't know how he knows them because he's never been to Rome yet. And he goes through this list. And Paul is writing from Corinth. And if you go back and look at your maps and see where Corinth is and see where Rome is. And yet here is Paul 2,000 years ago writing to this group of people. And he lists all these folks. Now just on the side, we had a chance uh, some years ago to be in Rome, Italy. And I do a systematic reading plan. And you know how God arranges things sometimes? Guess where I was reading when we were in Rome? I was reading the book of Romans, all right? And we were staying in a monastery, and we were at this convention, and I remember every morning picking up my Bible and reading in Romans and thinking to myself, you know what? The people who were receiving this letter probably live just a few miles from where I'm reading it right now. It was really an amazing thing. But here's the deal. Here is this group of people and they have an interconnectedness with Paul 2,000 years ago. And today, the amount of interconnectedness we have in spite of the fact that we live in this world that is so large, there's still all these connections that happen all the time. And again, I could tell you all kinds of stories. I'll just share one. It's quite personal here. When I was in college, a college minister came to our college and got to know him quite well. His name was uh, Nick Howard. And then I moved later to Houston and served here, and he ended up um, coming to Rice and then the medical center, and then he got to know some people who were part of that church. And one of the great thrills was I actually did a wedding uh, together with him, uh, Barrett and Ellen. They're here now, and they have four children and all of that. And now today, it's not like I know Nick well But just recently, I found out that he's heading to pastor one of our international churches in Wiesbaden, Germany. And so now for over 27, 28 years, one person, we've stayed connected in different ways. When we get to Germany, I'll see someone that I was in seminary with, who also served in here in Houston, who's now serving in Germany. The interconnectedness is amazing. And I just want to let you know as a congregation the influence this congregation has had. As through the years you've remained faithful to reaching people and discipling people and now there are people around the world who have connections to this congregation here in Houston, Texas. Our interconnectedness is an amazing thing. A fourth learning that I've had in my international experience is that people are the same, but different. People are the same, but different. As I've met all these different international, inter, uh, nationalities, and as I've had opportunity to have conversations with African refugees, yes, we actually have African refugees that end up in our church. It's amazing. And with people who are high up in government, I've had opportunities to do that. With people who are incredibly wealthy and with people who are amazingly poor, I've discovered something. 
People are the same. The same needs, the same fears, the same struggles, especially that same need to know of the love of God in their lives and to know the transformational power of Jesus Christ. But people are different. Just a little illustration on this. One of the things that is always amusing to me is how we greet one another. You know, Americans typically, we do a handshake. Maybe you know someone well, you give them a hug, especially male, female, that might be common. In Latin countries, it's very common for men to either give big handshakes or abrazos, and for women to greet each other with a, I'm sorry, men and women, or women to women, greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. And so I've had to get used to that, all right? Big stretch for me. And now I've gotten very used to it, and so we had that greeting, and then uh, we have a number of Africans in our church. Many of them, not all Africans, often will greet with an extended hand, but they'll also hold their hand. It's a sign of respect. And so they'll greet that way, and Asians greet differently and all. So when you're in a church like ours, you're never sure how you should greet people, right? Okay? If they're Latin, you know to greet. The really funny thing is if you see another American, but they're used to living in Latin America and they're like a lady and I'm a guy, then you're kind of confused. Do we do the kiss on the cheek thing or do we shake hands? Very confusing. We now have a gal from Greece who's attending our Bible study. And the first time I saw her, I did the Latin thing. I, gre- I greeted her and she said, oh no, in Greece, we kiss on both cheeks. So she did the... And I'll, so now every time she's there, okay, go ahead. Both cheeks. Mm-hmm, okay. So, but people are the same, but different. In Romans, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a passage you're very familiar with, Paul talks about the fact that to the Jew, he's become like a Jew. To the Roman, like a Roman. To the weak, he's become weak. He's done this for a purpose, and that is so that he would be able to reach them with the gospel. And one of the things that is critically important, it's important here in Houston, Texas, as you deal with cultural differences and generational differences, and it's the same In Central America, where we live, you try to understand the culture, you try to understand the context, and then you build a bridge with people so that you can share with them. People are the same, but they're also different. Here's my last point. And in conclusion, you know what it means when a pastor says it in conclusion? Absolutely nothing, all right, but... In conclusion, the last learning that I've had is this. It's really a relearning because I shared this truth from the pulpit quite often when I served here. The message stays the same, but methods are always changing. The method stays the same, but methods are always changing. In John chapter 4, you can go back and read that passage. A very interesting dialogue that Jesus has with the woman at the well. And he speaks of himself and of his message. And he talks about living water. That his message is living water. I brought, not living water, but regular water with me. And right now, it is in this container. And I think it's a good time for me to take a drink. But if I chose, 
to put it in this container. Is it the same content? Some of you are really thinking about this, all right? It's not that hard. It's still water, okay? But the container's changed. And I think that is a wonderful lesson for us concerning the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ passed down from generation to generation that it is Jesus Christ whom we experience the forgiveness of sins. It is Jesus Christ where salvation is found. That message cannot change. But the way the message is presented, the methods are always changing. Now, I'm getting old enough that I don't always like that. I kind of like the way I'm used to doing church or doing ministry. But I have learned in our setting that we have to constantly change. And we've done a lot of changes. Uh, by God's grace, we've grown quite a bit in our congregation. So we were, had one service and one Bible study. And then we had a service and then a Bible study time and then a second service. And then we got too big for that. And then we decided to do Bible studies and services. So now we have a service at 9 and a service at, at 10.30 and Bible studies at the same time. And we do Bible studies during the week. We found that we had a lot of people who were coming who didn't understand English. So we decided to provide simultaneous translation. So every Sunday, if you're a, a non-English speaker, if you're Spanish speaking, I always say, si usted quiere escuchar el mensaje en español, tenemos audífonos, puede recoger en el salón y puede escuchar el mensaje en español. If you understood that, then that's good, all right? Um, and so anyway, people uh, listen, and, and we, we, we start, we're just in this group, uh, this Transform series. We have like 26 or 28 uh, different groups meeting, and we're just constantly changing. If something works, then we keep going, and if it doesn't work, we say, well, let's try something else. And fortunately, we have quite a bit of freedom that way. But we're constantly changing and constantly adapting. And what's the purpose of that? Is it because I like change? Not so much anymore. It's because we're going to have to keep changing if we want to reach this world for Christ. And you know, as I've dealt with all kinds of churches, it's been amazing how adaptable the church of Jesus Christ is. Several years ago, at one of these conventions, I was talking to the pastor of uh, one of the churches that we have in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, and we were talking about some different things, and he mentioned this, and it kind of caught me off guard. He said, well, at our Friday school, and I said, what do you mean Friday school? And he said, well, we're in a Muslim country, and the holy day is Friday. Sunday's a work day. So we have our services and our Sunday school, but we don't call it Sunday school. We call it Friday school on Friday. And I thought, well, that makes sense. You don't want to offer church when everybody's at work. You've got to adapt. We've helped plant some churches, English-speaking churches, and they've been interesting. There's a little church. It's not so little anymore. They run about 60 now that we helped plant two years ago in a surfer town in Costa Rica, and let me tell you, you think we're casual right now, if you want casual, go to that church, all right? One thing is it's hot, so you don't even want to be in pants. I mean, they're super casual, and the guitar, and people in the shorts, and the whole thing, and it's different. 
But that's what works in that context. It's another church we've been involved in in another coastal area. And they are actually meeting at a beautiful new facility built by a Spanish church. Well, they actually meet on Sunday mornings about the same time because the main service for that Spanish church is Friday nights at 7. It's just what works the best in that context. We've been involved in planting a church in Panama City, Panama. That church is now over two years old. They still don't have a permanent meeting place. Guess where they've met in the last two years? In a movie theater at a mall in Panama City, Panama. And they've been reaching people that way. And in all these experiences, I've had the opportunity to see that as long as we are proclaiming the message of Christ, then we're going to have to change the ways that we do it. And when you do, you begin to be successful. Let me just end with a final story and then I'll be done. We have several universities that we reach students from. And one of those is a master's level university called the University for Peace. And it is completely secular. It's sponsored by the United Nations. But they do all their teaching in English. And they have students from all over the world that come. And for a time, not so much now, but for a time, they had a lot of students from Rwanda. Some of you are familiar with the little East African country of Rwanda. And a few years ago, we had this group of students from Rwanda And one of them came up to me and he said, would you be a part of a memorial service commemorating the Rwandan genocide at our university? And I said, I would be happy to do that. And so I went to this very secular university. If you don't know, I didn't know this, but they remember the Rwanda genocide in April. That's during our dry season. So on this beautiful day, I went to this university. The Rwandans, who were predominantly Christians, very secular university, they were leading this remembrance. In kind of the African way, he didn't really tell me all the details. He just said, I'm going to show a little video, and then I want you to share some reflections. And he showed this very powerful video from YouTube about what's been going on as far as reconciliation between the two tribes that were at war, the Hutu and the Tutsis. And as a part of that video, there was a pastor. And that video ended with that pastor saying, you know, the only way people can really be reconciled to one another is for them to be reconciled to their creator. And the video ended there. And then I stood up among this very secular audience. And I said, God, help me to figure out (laughs) how to tie this in. And I said, he's true. We're here today to remember a tremendous atrocity. And we have all kinds of ideas, and you're at this university called For Peace, and I'm glad you're working for peace, but you need to know that the only way we can experience reconciliation one another is when we have reconciliation with our Creator. I don't know exactly how it was received. People nodded. Then after that, we went out on a hillside overlooking a beautiful valley. And we planted a tree remembering the nearly million people that were killed 
in that horrendous event. And as we had a moment of silence, I just thought to myself, God, wherever you call me, whatever you have me do, may I remain faithful to share that reconciliation ultimately has to come first when we're reconciled with our Creator. It's been great to be here. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you so much for their faithfulness for so many years. I thank you for those who have remained and who have given leadership and who have continued to serve you in this place. I thank you, Father, for Pastor John and for his call here. And I ask today that what I've shared would be a source of encouragement for all of us, that you would help us to respond to your call and to realize the blessing, that you would help us to make sure we nurture our soul and our families, that we would be mindful of the differences in people around us, but that their needs remain the same. Lord, I pray especially that you would help us to know that the message of Jesus Christ, that transformational message, doesn't change. But we must always adapt the ways that we change that message. And I thank you, Lord, that this congregation, these people, are willing to serve you faithfully, I pray your blessings upon this congregation. And I ask you would continue to use them to be salt and light in this place. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.